You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, we now have a date for the meaningful vote on Brexit, the 11th of December. And it also looks like we're going to be having a debate between Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May beforehand. So as we often say on this podcast, we are very much approaching the business end of May's Brexit deal and how Britain leaves the European Union, if indeed it does. There are still some people that think that might be uh, up for debate. And on this show, we're going to be going, we're going to be talking through some of the numbers from some polling from Salvation and Delta Poll this week, but also looking through the different uh, potential causes of action that might take place in the coming weeks and months and trying to make sense of it all and how public opinion feeds in. And to do that, I'm joined as ever by co-host Leo Barassi, but also our returning prodigal son, Rob Vance. Rob, uh, welcome back to Polling Matters. Thanks for having me on again. It's lovely to be back. Uh, Big grin on his face. Uh, And hello, Leo. Hello, Kieran. Uh, it's good to have you back too. Don't worry. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, Rob, I'll st- I think the start with you, considering you haven't been on for a little while. I mean, obviously, extremely turbulent times at the moment, right? I mean, what what do you make of it all? Yeah, I think it's well, it's it's uh, on one level fascinating, on another level, absolutely terrifying, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I think uh, it's uh, never been more uncertain, and um, bizarrely enough. Uh, my now like getting on for 15 year old politics degree been dusting off various bits of old theory to try and understand stuff uh, that you know is happening now that we never really thought would happen um, otherwise so um, yeah fascinating times such as what well all this stuff around sort of rational choice and condorcet paradoxes and transitive voting preferences and so on it's uh things that I spent quite a lot of time uh, studying at university and discussing in very theoretical terms, um, but they don't often actually crop up in real meaningful real world examples of, of which we have uh, abundant um, ones now. So yeah, interesting times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking, uh, chaps, about how, how to go through uh, everything today, and I thought we'd try and take it almost in sequence, uh, a little bit like a faux Labour Party policy, but let's see how we get on. So what I mean by that is let's let's sort of talk about the meaningful vote first, and then let's go after that beyond there, and if we think it's not going to pass, what happens next? Um, or, or, or indeed, how May might try and make it pass. Um, Leo, there's been some polling this week um, looking at um, the popularity of May's deal. Where do we stand in public opinion terms? So I want to start with the slightly earlier poll, actually, than the ones that have come out this week, because um, the previous ones had suggested uh, fairly clearly that the public don't like the deal. So uh, a simple YouGov question, for what you've seen or heard about the deal so far, so far, do you support or oppose the draft Brexit deal? Uh, 90th, 20th of November, 23% support, 45% oppose. So not a massive, massive margin, but still pretty clear that about twice as many people oppose it than support it. Incidentally, over the period of four or five days, that was actually a bit of a shift towards support. So that 23% support was up from 15% a few days before. So our starting point is people don't really like it. But a really striking um, finding, uh, I think it was the first question, or maybe not, it was some, somewhere early on in the poll, in the uh, Servation poll that was done for the Daily Mail um, this week that has uh, just come out a couple of days ago, asked a question, not do you support or oppose it, but uh, how would you like MPs to vote for it? Which I think is a really useful, interesting question, because in a way it's kind of, more relevant for knowing what people actually want to happen rather than whether or not they think it's a good question in a way yeah good deal in a way the sort of goodness of the deal should be priced into that what do you want mps to do 
what's striking is that found that 41% want MPs to vote for it, 38% want MPs to vote against it. So uh, assuming that public opinion hasn't swung in the last week towards really liking the deal, it seems that our question is pointing towards people generally not liking it, but like the German finance minister in the day-to-day, feeling that they have to go along with it. Rob, before we get into the numbers a bit, I mean, how much how much of a role do you think polling is going to play in this and how this plays out? Because I guess from my instinct is that obviously this is going to be a battle played out in Westminster. But I suppose that, you know, some politicians will look at the numbers as cover to do one, you know, one course of action or another, depending on what that is. Yeah, I think that's right. I think ultimately the decision, the, the most important decisions will be made in Westminster. But if you're thinking about the tactics within Parliament, whether you're Theresa May and the Chief Whip and the Leader of the House discussing how to timetable the parliamentary votes, or if you're doing the same job for the Labour Party, or if you're doing the same job for the ERG or whoever it might be, then all of the different permutations that we're seeing in the polling this week in terms of whether remain is preferred to no deal or whether no deal is preferred to May's deal and so on. Each of those sort of combinations of what might end up being a possible referendum, how that cuts across different parliamentary groupings, where possible, what that means for um, their parliamentary colleagues when they're trying to whip them into doing certain things, and what the possible fallback situation if things in parliament don't go the way that they want and so they end up with a referendum or if you're particularly pro-European and want to remain, whether you want to, you know, desperately try and make a people's vote, as it's known. So, um, you know, an amendment. So I, feel, I, I feel like we've got something more acute than that uh, happening right now, which is, um, if you look at that same question, you've got 62% of Tory voters saying that they want MPs to vote for the deal, only 22% against, which is really striking. I mean, I've been arguing for a while that public opinion is going to be really important at this business end of Brexit, because this is the time when MPs are going to have to uh, make a very public declaration of what they want. And they've got members and voters and constituency chairman who um, are going to tell them what they think. But it's really interesting that we're at a point where, I don't know if I can say most, but a very, very large number of Tory MPs are going to vote against the deal, or I said they're going to, mm. apparently against the wishes of their voters. Well, which... it, is, it is one poll, yeah. I mean, just a, there should be a word of caution, I think, in um, over-interpreting one salvation poll. I'm not saying it's wrong or anything, but I, I'd want to see a few more come out that say the same sort of thing. because I think Yeah, that... and in, fa- in fairness, that YouGov poll I talked about before had, among Tory voters, 39% support, 41% opposed, so obviously much closer than the general public, but not exactly a widespread uh, love for yeah. the deal. I mean, Rob, you talked about the tactics earlier, and, and, and that's interesting because I know, you, I know you do a lot of work privately uh you know, looking at the strategic angle of polling, whether it's for corporate or political, I'm not quite sure lately. But, uh, but uh, you, you know, you, you you advise people on their strategic goals on this sort of thing using the numbers. Um, d- surely Theresa May is going to be quite encouraged that there seems to be people seem to be shifting in 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 favour of her deal, right? Okay, from a low base, but um, a couple of weeks ago it was 27% supporting the deal uh, with Salvation. Now it's 37%. I mean, if these trends continue, uh, maybe you know, not looking so bad for her, right? Yeah, and I think that the, the, what I think everybody does agree is that voters are living in a very low information environment, which means that it's actually quite the momentum play in this is really, really, really important because, um, yeah, starting out from a low base and a poor start, 
you know, people resigning from the cabinet, it all looking a mess, lots of write-ups about how inevitable it was to fail and so on. As Leo says, you know, there's some very encouraging trends in this. You see that if you like the ERG position of no deal or being happy about no deal, or at least giving off the vibe of being happy about no deal, doesn't look like it has particular public support, though I haven't really seen anything that really gets to the heart of how credible people feel. Things like the Bank of England's announcements yesterday and so on are. Um, but there is a, there is at least a, a sense in quite a lot of this that people are taking the economic risks of no deal more seriously now than perhaps they took the economic risks of voting leave in 2016. Um, and all of that does add up to something which I think if you're Theresa May, you you would have reason to be, if not cheerful, at least less depressed than you might have been a week ago at where things were headed. I, I, wonder, um, I wonder if there's something in the fact that the ERG couldn't get that 48, those 48 letters as probably, maybe not damaged them in public opinion terms, but damaged them in uh, how the political correspondents and journos are viewing them and how seriously they're taking the the Reese Moggs yeah. and Bakers of this world. I mean, maybe that's a little bit short-sighted because I'm sure those letters will come if the if the deal is uh, voted down. Maybe not, you know. Um, but I don't think that we've heard the last of that, shall we say. Um, but maybe they moved a bit quickly and that's damaged their momentum, pardon the pun. No, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I think, and I think you're the, the hitting on the, the media narrative bit of that I think is is really important. I think you could very easily imagine um, a different media narrative, um, arguably that might have been even more positive for May, because I think if they had got to 48 letters and she'd been able to fairly quickly defeat the, the competence vote, actually, I think she would come out of it stronger. But, you know, regardless, maybe making them look incompetent was more valuable than um, being able to get it out of the way quickly. Mm. Um, I think... Yeah, it doesn't mean that there aren't 48 people that want her to go. They just know that they only have one shot at it per year and therefore are holding back until there is, if you like, what they feel is a better moment to strike. Um, but I think the tactics here is the really critically important bit. So one of, you know, without getting too deep into the numbers, because, you know, it's it's a complicated question that, you know, different polls come out with slightly different answers. But it's clear that, you know, there are slightly less than a third that want no deal, give or take. Um, slightly more than a third um, that want either May's deal or Remain would be what I would suggest is the kind of overarching sort of structure of public opinion. And that mean, and then whilst that isn't reflected in Parliament, that certainly is part of the argument within Parliament. Um, and so, you know, the key thing for me is the agenda setting power that May has in terms of timetabling votes, presenting options, um, making sure that, you know, you're able to hold up the, the thing that's worse um, and, you know, we've, we've seen that played out ever since May made the announcement saying that there were three options. In a sense, that's been a very deliberate strategy on her part to make clear that there are three options. Um, and, you know, it means that, you know, she turns to one group and says, it's this is my deal or it's, or it's no deal. And turns to another group and says, this is the only way that we leave the European Union. I mean, I think without without plugging the name of this show, I think it does show why, quote unquote, polling matters. Uh, a lot of the opinion polls are going to show those three. They're going to be the three options. And we're going to come to this in a minute. I don't want to get there too soon. But we're, we're going to come to how polling is in, in, increasingly moving towards uh, Remain versus May's deal versus no deal. That seems to be the way it's framed. And it's quite interesting that that's how the media is framing it too. And that's almost how the whole thing is presented. It doesn't necessarily have to be presented that way, but that, it could still be presented in it as a binary leave versus remain. But it's interesting how that nuance is changing. Um, before we get there, though, I want to talk a bit about the meaningful vote. So, I mean, do we think this is just going to fall, Leo? There's no chance. I mean, I'm interested in this debate with Corbyn and Mays coming up. I mean, 
I suppose she seems to think she can get something out of that. I guess it sort of speaks to what Rob was saying about setting the agenda and trying to be out there fighting. I mean, I've got a bit of a problem with that debate, to be honest. It's, it, there is no election. There is no referendum. So what's the point? I mean, it does. I don't really understand what it's there for. But um, I don't know. Like, what do you think yeah, about some of that? It seems that having that debate is largely going to serve the function of reinforcing things along party lines to an extent in that uh, it's very clear that May would need a significant number of Labour rebels to be able to uh, get the meaningful vote passed, given the number of Tory MPs who've said that they're going to vote against it. And that's well, not going to help her, right? I mean, if she, she's up there against the Labour leader. Well, exactly. Um, Precisely. But, so it's not clear. I mean, you know, I think... I, I have to take it uh, at face value what, what the people, what the journalists who are going around talking to MPs say, and it seems absolutely clear that uh, there are a huge number of Tories who are going to rebel. And the Labour MPs who might consider rebelling are looking at this and thinking this vote looks like it's going to be lost so badly that it might make sense for me to vote on the second uh, second attempt at it, but doing it now when I'm going to be immensely unpopular for a cause that May is definitely going to lose anyway just seems pointless. There's an interesting um, debate about the debate, so to speak, where, you know, should it be May and Corbyn or should should others be involved? And it's funny, d- during a general election, I, I tend to want the leader of the opposition and the prime minister, just a personal preference, because those are the two people that would potentially lead a government. And so I think even though there are we are in a multi-party system, there's something to be said for having... The, the, uh, without presidentializing it too much to have the two people that might be prime minister go head to head but on this like i say there is no referendum there is no election at the moment so i think why not have the plethora of views that are out there because you know at the moment corbyn and may's positions are both to support you know pretty similar versions of brexit yeah okay no, like one, of them, one, of them, one of them supports a concrete deal that has been hammered out over two years with the european commission the other one supports a complicated compromise deal that has not even begun to you know be negotiated and the commission is more or less explicitly said doesn't exist I, th- I think the reason why this arguably is a, t- a reasonable time for us and why two people are the right number for this is this isn't ahead of a referendum this isn't ahead of even deciding what would be on the referendum ballot paper this is ahead of a, a straight up down vote we've got the leader of the party proposing the vote got the leader of the party opposed in the vote i mean isn't that fair enough nothing else is on the table at the moment no i think that is true that is true i just that, that's why i don't think it's going to advance any kind of conversation very much but uh, a massive fall, fall or an absolutely smash out of the park could either boost or hinder May's ability to get her deal through. Um, yeah, presumably from Corbyn's perspective, the major downside is being seen talking about Brexit. He's managed to reconcile a, a position that's divided from his party by just not really talking about Brexit much. Yeah, um, I, I think that's right, because I think ultimately he, he the pitfall for Corbyn is that May is going to do everything she can to try and um, say you want to stop Brexit, you, you know, because she's going to try and make this argument that Rob mentioned earlier to her backbenchers that if you if you vote this down, then maybe there'll be no Brexit at all. So she, and Labour policy is whatever this means to keep it on, keep remain on the table, isn't it? Um, so she's going to try and position Corbyn as your 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 party is going to stop Brexit. He, but then what does it? What does he say? Does he come out and categorically deny that? Well, he can't. But then at the same time. Um, you know, he doesn't want to be seen as uh, not being uh, open to remain to his remain flank as well. So it's a, he's in a bit of an awkward spot, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he might surpass expectations in the sense that, you know, he comes on stage and is very affable and debates well. I have absolutely no doubt about that. But, you know, played right, he could be squirming quite a lot with um, 
you know, being caught between this pro-Remain and pro-Brexit hard, uh, rock and a hard place. Let's assume then that debate happens and then this meaningful vote is voted down. I think that's a safe assumption. Um, granted, the conventional wisdom is often wrong. But anyway, um, what, what happens next? What immediately happens after the meaningful vote fails, which yep, I think probably is going to be the case, um, is there will be this uh, tension here of May presumably saying, well, this is still the only option on the table. Uh, a bunch of Tories mostly saying, well, no deal or a managed no deal or whatever is going to be our best option. And a bunch of people saying right now we need a referendum. And I think the referendum question is, or should there be a referendum question? I noticed some interesting movements on that. Um, I think for a while, uh, you and I, Kieran, have been trying to make the case of whether there is a swing towards people wanting a referendum or a people's vote. Uh, and I think we've seen that there's perhaps some relatively small movement, but it's been quite hard to track it because not many agencies have been asking the same question over time. But I noticed that this salvation question um, had one f that showed a big movement just over the course of November. So uh, it was a wording that was quite favourable to referendum. So it got fairly large numbers, but it got 48% yes, 34% no. And that's a pretty big swing from 42% yes, 38% no, uh, just 12 days earlier. So it felt like the bad reaction to May's deal has begun to move public opinion towards the idea that there should be a referendum. And I guess I would think it's fairly plausible that if the deal fails, then that momentum builds up still further. Um, obviously, that's just speculative, but given that movement seems to be going that direction when the deal's doing badly, then be interesting to see uh, what but happens. Who, who, I mean, this is, this is where we have to try and be careful, right? Because then, well, obviously this podcast analyzes the numbers, but at the same time, the numbers have to apply in a real world setting. I mean, how, I'm, I'm still not clear how a referendum happens. I think there's this perception on social media that parliament can pass a motion of some kind, and then that's just a referendum. And from what I understand, you need primary legislation, you need uh, the electoral commission gets involved. You agree a question. You have to timetable it. You have to debate it. You have to, um, in, you know, in Parliament, I mean, and then you, then you have to. The government literally has to manage that process. So I don't see how there is a referendum without government buy-in. And I know I know some people say that oh well, May might do one, uh, have a referendum to avoid no deal. But I just feel like her whole any sense of remain is just going to be shot down by the Conservative Party. So the only way I see a second referendum, and I'm sure I'll have egg on my face. Uh, within a few months on this, is if there's a general election and the Labour Party wins on the basis of having a second referendum. And the Labour Party has explicitly said its policy, if there is, if it can get an election, is essentially to do Brexit better. Uh, I, I understand all the caveats we've had before about, well, they're trying to keep a coalition together and they're, they're trying to be uh, constructive, constructively ambiguous and all the rest of it. But I, I don't know, like, I mean, public opinion may shift, but Unless there's an election, I don't see there being a second referendum. Rob, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, I think the there is a decent chance of. So I accept the the sort of assertion that the first vote will get will get voted down. I think that's right. I think the way in which that that is then responded to or amended before being asked again is going to be critically important. And this is where the sequencing of things becomes critical. Um, 
the government controls the ability to timetable how much goes into stuff and then can accept amendments as being binding on government policy or not essentially and so their ability to do that will make a big difference now i don't know the ins and outs of house procedure properly but you know if the first motion fails you can imagine that rather than amending it to be a second referendum immediately the the proposal from the labor party might well be instead something along the lines of efta eea norway plus whatever um and that means that there's a whole i think there's a lot more politics in parliament to play out before we end up in second but, sure, but surely the first thing they do is a no no confidence vote in the government right but i think there's a decent chance that a no confidence vote that may survives a no confidence vote like it's perfectly to be honest, i mean you're sounding pretty passive pretty cautious about that i mean she's definitely going to isn't she, is she? i mean maybe definitely so, so different, maybe different, definitely is too strong but different. let's say she loses the meaningful vote i mean there's not a majority in parliament for another general election surely well, I don't think so personally, but you know, others may disagree. Um, and it's unclear exactly how, because bear in mind, the thing that would trigger another election would be if, never mind the DUP, I think the DUP would be more, more likely to abstain, but I think the DUP would support May, to be honest, because I don't think they've got a particular interest in another election. And I don't think they really want no deal either, um, actually, despite what they say. I think their, their statements on this seem less credible than but if may is determined let me let me let me challenge that rob 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 Rob, let me challenge that though if so the dup have said we do not want this deal this deal threatens the union right this reminds me quite a lot in different ways of the smp voting down callahan in 79 right for very very different circumstances around devolution and that sort of thing but it's not a million miles away, to be fair. And no one thought the SNP would vote down a Labour government and that led to the 18 years of Tory rule. Isn't it quite possible that we're going to sleepwalk into a situation where the DUP end up voting down May's government because they cannot countenance this deal that, in their view, threatens the union? And therefore, we end up with a general election. I understand the Fixed-Term Parliament Act complicates things even more, but I just feel like if the government loses a no-confidence vote, there's going to be an election. The, the, the thing that would be most likely, forget the DUP for a second, the thing that would really trigger uh, a, a general election would be if the, the most, if you like, hardcore elements of the ERG decided that without a general election and without a formal split in the Tory party, in effect... Um, that there was no chance that, that, you know, that effectively it was either going to be Remain or it was going to be the deal that they really, really couldn't stomach. Um, and they would sort of blow the whole thing up by... by but that's, a- so that's a fascinating question, isn't it? Then essentially, from the ERG's perspective, if we think about them as an actor here, what yep. do they prefer? Taking the risk of a Corbyn government or having the certainty of May's deal? Well, I think they would want to bring her down, right? They, I don't think they want an election. They want to have a vote of no confidence in her. So this is a different thing, right? This is not... Okay. Uh, so a, a Tory yeah, party, yeah, exactly. a Tory yeah. party vote of confidence in her that she loses and then they get one of theirs in. Presumably Johnson. Yeah. yeah. But given where we are at the moment with Brussels essentially saying um, the options on the table are this deal or a delay if there's a referendum or a general election, that's mm. it. Then yeah. what, in what options are there to the ERG? as a as a as an actor here that would want to achieve something in the next couple of months i can't see anything they could hope to achieve other than no deal i'm not sure what they'd seek to get from a vote of no confidence in may because there's not going to be a leadership contest that's won 
Well, you don't know that. And there's not going to be a candidate who gets to the top two on the basis of I will go for no deal. I agree. I think they're on a hiding to nothing. I think I think they're going to lose. Um, I think what, what, question... if, uh, what if the ERG back Boris Johnson and he's not the ERG candidate per se, but he's the true leave can- candidate if that's what, what in, in the situation of bringing down sorry yeah, so, 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 the, so the 48 letters, down, the 48 letters go in yeah the, the Tory party decides for good or bad that this is unsustainable um, we're going to vote her down or in a Thatcher style you know damage her so much that she feels she has to resign um bear in mind this is in the context of her deals probably already been voted down in parliament so she resigns there's a leadership contest and boris johnson runs um i'm not predicting boris johnson but he's he feels like he's a someone that could run right and then the erg throws their weight behind him jacob rees smog to me to my mind does seem like someone that is kingmaker rather than king but maybe that's famous last words and he's and johnson doesn't become the erg prime minister but he ultimately um gets to that final two with their support and the support of others and we all know he's popular on the tory grassroots it's just one scenario i'm not saying that's the so, most likely outcome but like so that sounds plausible the way you've described it there but it's i still don't think that answers the question of what he offers so you can't fight a leadership election without answering this question at this point of what will you do Brussels mm. have said no renegotiation we've got the the cliff edge what are you going to do no and deal it would be no, it'd be that, no that deal if necessary won't it that's what it will be right but exactly so that that just feels like you know that really ties the hand of anyone attacking may from the right that they have to they're going to have to say we're going for no deal which for me feels an unwinnable position in the the tory parliamentary party at the moment but look i'm not an expert on yeah. uh, parliamentary processes so okay so clearly a very unpredictable situation where we think may's deal gets voted down in parliament we're not sure if there's going to be an election um or a leadership contest in the tory party maybe she limps on who's who's to say right um so we have to sort of take that as a given but let's see what let's talk a bit about what direction we might go in. Whether there's another referendum or not, we've talked about these three courses of action that could be taken. Remain, no deal, May's deal, right? So whether it's a referendum or I don't know, some other political direction, it's one of those three, maybe. So Delta Poll have done some research this week, which has asked people to essentially rank their preferences uh, of those three. Uh, things they've asked thinking about your view on brexit for each of the following please say if it would be your first preference second preference or third preference and we've got remain may's deal and no deal and what they've done is they've um they've asked people to rank them as you might imagine as i've described but also where people have said don't know and think or not given a um response they've, they've kind of forced people to make a choice as well and this is important uh, i think there's a fancy naming uh, french word for how we describe this which i just got out of my head i'm sure rob will uh, fill us in later um and when then these choice when these forced choices are made what's really interesting is that um, may's deal beats remain by 56 to 44 this is once all the preferences are reallocated after first second <coughs> and all the rest of it no deal actually beats remain 52 48 and uh, May's deal beats no deal at 58-42. So, Leo, these are quite different pictures to what we're normally used to seeing, aren't they? Where we normally see we normally see May's deal as very unpopular and remain in the lead. H- how do we explain this difference? Yeah, honestly, this poll has forced me to change my mind a bit. Uh, I had thought up till seeing it that in a three-way referendum, it was looking like a, if not comfortable, at least more likely victory for Remain than for anything else. Um, I think one possible explanation is is this thing you referred to about 
the forced choice nature of it. Um, as Steve Fisher, who um, I think conducted the poll, uh, uh, or was certainly involved in it, uh, uh, Oxford academic, uh, said is that um, 40 percent of people didn't want to give a preference so there's a very large chunk of the public here who are um expressing a view that they don't really want to have that their their opinion is much softer and when you do that it doesn't ultimately change the result but it makes it a whole lot closer so for example um the deal versus remain which you just gave a headline figure of 56 44 becomes 51 49 mm. when you take out that 40 percent who who were forced to the choice and no deal does much worse generally when you take out the people who didn't really want and, to and i guess that. i guess for the listeners benefit why does this matter well it matters because if there was a vote where someone goes into the ballot uh, ballot box and has to pick one two three or, or you know with these three options i mean leaving aside that probably won't happen but let's say they did no one's going to be standing there saying no 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 you have to make a a second and third choice are they yeah no one's going yeah, to go well, and even so, you have to turn up and vote right but it but it is it is it's a great piece of research i do i do commend uh, the guys at delta poll for this because it's it's just a different perspective on things which makes you uh, uh gives you a sort of pause for thought um to, to sort of work backwards on this um when people were forced to make um a, a sort of a first choice that there is a 39 percent chose remain um 33 percent chose uh, uh may's deal and i can't quite read that on the graph what that says for for uh, no deal um, but less less people chose no deal. Let's say, let's just say that. Um, and one of the things that I, I thought was twenty eight percent said no deal. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting as well is that the the presumed journey uh, on the preferences was not necessarily as you might expect. Um, so to some extent it was in the sense that okay, twenty four percent chose May's deal first, then no deal, then remain. So you can sort of see the the Brexit led thought process that happens there. 23% chose no deal, then May's deal, then remain. So again, you can sort of see how the Brexiters are choosing one version of Brexit, then the other. And then remain, uh, those 26% chose remain, then May's deal, as I suppose the softer Brexit, uh, and then and then no deal. So that all makes sense. But there are people that go in somewhat confusing directions. So 13% chose remain as their first choice, and then chose no deal, and then chose May's deal. And 9% chose May's deal, then remain, then no deal. So I don't want to go in too much into the weeds of those numbers, but it does show you actually, doesn't it, that you know it's not necessarily as clean cut as we might think. That. So one of the other things that struck me, um, which uh, I think is is interesting and slightly counterintuitive, is um, Remain wins on first choices. So you've got thirty nine percent of people who put Remain as their first choice, but it also is the most unpopular one. So forty seven percent of people put Remain last. And that's compared with only eighteen percent put May's deal last. So Remain, it's sort of it's separated from the others. It seems quite clear that essentially what's going on is, in general, the May's deal and No Deal groups are closer together and share um, share their supporters. And Remain is more off on one side, and people uh, are tending generally to go less to Remain. They kind of they, there's a lot of people who start and Remain, but not so many who go over to them as their second choice. Okay, guys, let's wrap this up then and think about what we think happens. Uh, between now and March, um, I suppose there's a range of different options. I don't, I don't want to sort of completely roadmap it, but will there be an election? Will there be a second referendum? That sort of thing. My feeling is that we there is a very, very good chance of a general election between now and next March because I am not convinced the DUP is as adverse 
to having one as um, it might have initially been thought. And I certainly think there's been sufficient movement on that to make me think an election is possible. Notwithstanding the fact that we know the fixed term parliament act is difficult, but then, you know, a lot of people said that an early election was impossible for the same reason. So I, I'm sort of loathe to rule one out for that reason. Um, a year ago, people would have thought the idea of the DUP voting down May was fanciful and they never want them because of, uh, they don't want to let Corbyn get in. But I, I, it, again, it feels like the, the rhetoric coming out of them at the moment seems extremely hostile to May. So I just wonder whether, you know, in a vote of no confidence in specifically May's government, they might do something um, surprising. Whereas I think like the odds on uh, will Labour come out for a second referendum? Uh, that's the real that's the real unknown in my book. So I, I think there's a good chance of a general election being the way that the impasse is broken. Um, I'm keen to get your views on, on, on this, guys. I mean, let's leave at the door that we all know it's all very uncertain. We don't quite know exactly what's going to happen. Lots of, you know, it's very, you know, very unpredictable, etc. I mean, Rob, what, what's your take on things? Um, I, I mean, I think this week I've been more, got more likely a general election has become more likely as the week has progressed. Um, but at the same time, I don't actually see how it would necessarily resolve anything. Um, I don't see, you know, we haven't really talked about it at all, but you know, the overall polling doesn't look, hasn't really shifted dramatically one way or the other. I think it's far from clear that either the Tories or, or the Labour Party would have a majority in the House of Commons. And so we'd kind of be back to square one. Yes, we'd have an extension on the Brexit deal. Um, I presume that there would be, if we have had a general election, the May is no longer the leader. But the underlying, if you like, the, the sort of the tectonic plates of politics in Britain wouldn't actually change very much other than having a different person in charge. Um, well, it would change a lot if that, that person was Corbyn, right? Sorry? It would change a lot if that person was Jeremy Corbyn, Prime Minister. Well, you say that, and obviously, on in a sort of trivial way, I agree. But in terms of the logic of Britain's exit from the European Union, um, I'm not. Con I mean, I think the the, the sort of, if Labour have gone into that general election, yes, promising a second referendum, then yeah, that's quite different. If they've just gone into it promising a different kind of impossible deal to the one that May promised in her Lancaster House speech, i.e., you know, a series of red lines that can't then be met by the European Commission then in a sense, not very much has changed in terms of Brexit, right? Um, because we end up with a deal which maybe doesn't privilege being able to limit immigration and um, free movement in the way that May's deal does, but limits something else which is unpopular and which is a sort of messy constitutional fudge and deals with Northern Ireland in a particularly different way or whatever. I can see a, a second referendum happening, um, I think, uh, but I think the most likely outcome is that the deal is in some way amended um, you know, possibly with an extension, but the deal is in some way amended to look a bit more like um, EEA or EFTA or whatever. And effectively, the Labour Party and the and the the the, 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 the bit of the Tory party that wants a kind of functional deal rather than May's deal um, will be able to somehow get that amended in the House as it stands. But, okay. you know, I think these, you know, anything's possible, right? And then fi final word to you, Leah. So I think the difficulty of the situation is a lot of MPs are going to have to accept something that they really don't want at the moment. There's literally no path that doesn't involve uh, a lot of unhappiness among a lot of MPs. So there's no there's no point looking for this um, for uh, looking in this for something that'll command a majority because there is no such thing. Um, I think a point that we've somewhat overlooked but is really important is that a second referendum. I think would be extremely bad for Corbyn. 
I can't see any other way that he gets dislodged as leader of the Labour Party against his will than um, a, a return to the heat of the question of what he thinks about Europe and it being a very relevant thing. So mm. it seems to me that he he will both try and avoid a second referendum and at the same time look like he's pushing for one because that's what his members and his voters want, uh, which is a very difficult position. I think interesting one to watch and see whether he can sustain that. Mm. Um, and then my final point is, I think a lot of this comes down to what May dislikes more. Uh, obviously, she wants her deal overwhelmingly, vastly more than anything else. But is she? Uh, she's going to be playing brinkmanship up to the deadline of it. Um, is she more worried about being a prime minister who takes Britain out with a no deal? Or is she more worried about uh, triggering a second referendum that leads to Britain remaining? Um, so which failure scares her more? And I think that will shape it because ultimately a second referendum is only going to happen if the Tory party backs it, as we talked about. That's going to be May's decision. Is she sufficiently scared of no deal that that she feels that she has to do that? I don't know the answer, but I think that's the crucial question. Mm. Well, so that's British politics solved, or, or possibly not, uh, in that sort of uh, half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Um, big thanks to Leah Barassi and Rob Vance uh, for joining me uh, this on this week's episode. Um, if you like what you hear, please, as ever, do share us on social media. Give us a like or a positive comment on Facebook or, uh, or other podcast apps that you might subscribe to. Uh, it will help grow our audience, and we're very much appreciate, uh, appreciative of that. And what do you think as well? Tweet us uh, with your thoughts on this week's podcast and what you think might happen. Uh, we'd love to get listeners uh, more involved in the show, and we might read out some of your comments next week if you do um, but for now thanks for listening and have a great weekend